Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Yesterday, serial pedophile Michael Guider was released from prison after serving a 17-year sentence for the death of nine-year-old Bondi girl Samantha Knight in the 1980s. As far as I'm concerned, people like that do not deserve to step foot into any kind of freedom. Look at what they've done to our children. That's Sonia Ryan, whose own daughter Carly was murdered by a pedophile and who is lobbying to stop offenders like Michael Guider from walking free at the end of their sentences. Today, we're going to find out why the fact that Guider never applied for parole is ringing warning bells and why a judge has placed him on a strict supervision order, fearing he will offend again. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Just a heads up, today's episode of The Quickie discusses child sexual abuse and details surrounding a murder. Listener discretion is advised. Samantha Knight was just nine years old when she disappeared from her Bondi home 33 years ago. Yesterday, her killer walked free from Goulburn Jail. Serial pedophile Michael Guider was first arrested 10 years after Samantha went missing, after two of his victims went to police. His method of abusing young children was, after befriending their mothers and then being trusted enough to babysit, he would drug them with laced soft drink and then assault them before taking their pictures. Thousands of those pictures were found, along with newspaper clippings of Samantha's disappearance, when police raided his home in 1996. He was sentenced to 16 years in jail after being found guilty on more than 60 charges of sexually abusing children. But none of those charges were for the death of Samantha Knight. In fact, Guida claimed to know nothing about her disappearance, despite having been in contact with her alongside the children he'd been found guilty of molesting and of taking pictures of her, but in his words, not in an indecent way. I met Samantha on two or three occasions. I can't really remember the... It wasn't wasn't an association at all, really. It would be years before he finally admitted to what he'd done. With help from detectives, a former friend of his and Guida's own brother, the convicted sex offender finally admitted to Samantha's death, that she'd woken up while he was molesting her, giving her more of the drug and accidentally killing her. He claims to have buried her body at a yacht club where he worked as a gardener before digging her up and placing her in a dumpster after the site was undergoing construction. But he has changed his story several times since then. Multiple Walkley Award-winning journalist Hedley Thomas from The Australian has written about this case. Hedley, has Guider shown any remorse for his crimes while he's been behind bars? 
Well, I don't think that he has, and I believe that there's ample evidence of his failure to demonstrate contrition. First of all, he continued to offend against little children when he knew that he had unlawfully killed Samantha Knight in 1986 and that he had gotten away with it. So for another decade, he continued to use the same modus operandi that killed Samantha Knight. That is, he laced Coca-Cola drinks with the drug Normison that sedated these children who didn't know what they were getting themselves in for, and then he undressed them, molested them, and photographed them. Now, if he had been contrite and devastated, as he claims he was, about Samantha Knight's death in 1986, knowing that he'd got away with it, he would have stopped if he could have stopped, and he didn't. Then, after he was sentenced over sex offences, but not relating to Samantha Knight, because remember, he was not held accountable for Samantha Knight's death for about 15 years after her death. It was a mystery, but it was known that he had molested these children. When he was finally caught out on Samantha Knight's death because of great detective work and the very persistent lobbying of a woman called Denise Hoffman, who had been a friend of Michael Geiler. When he was called out, he did acknowledge what he had done eventually, but still wouldn't lead police to Samantha Knight's remains. And so we still don't have this little girl's body so that she can be properly buried. Now, Hadley, you've spoken to one of Michael Guider's victims, Lisa Giles. What has she said about him walking free from prison? How is she feeling? I think Lisa Giles is very sensibly and understandably alarmed, not just for her family's safety and her mental health, but for other children who may come into contact with Michael Guider because Lisa is very strongly of the view that Michael Guider is a compulsive pedophile who will attack again if he gets the opportunity. His sexual urges will not have been addressed as a result of his imprisonment in Lisa's view. And very disturbingly, there was evidence in recent weeks of how Michael Guider draws and sketches children in prison. He is a recalcitrant pedophile who will never be right and who will always be a risk to small children. And it only takes a minute to change a child's life. There are now reports that Guider changed his appearance as he readied himself for release, that he'd cut his hair and trimmed his beard. Whether as a way to face the world again or as a way to ensure he wouldn't be recognised is up for debate. But he has made other moves that allegedly point to him wanting to offend again. By not applying for parole, some believe he didn't want to be released early because he didn't want to be under parole conditions, that he wanted to be free from the system and those conditions that would see him back in jail for longer if he broke them, that he was preparing to, in fact, offend again. Dr Xanthi Mallet is a senior lecturer in criminology at the University of Newcastle. Dr Mallet, is not applying for parole a sign that someone is looking to re-offend? No, there are lots of reasons that people don't apply for parole when they first can. So it could be that they don't have secure housing when they finished or they don't feel that they are going to be safe in the community, for example, that they face backlash for their crimes if it's particularly high profile, or they may have become institutionalised and actually feel safer 
in the environment. So there are lots of reasons people don't apply for parole at the first opportunity, and we can't assume that because of that they're then going to re-offend. Well, let's talk about his particular crimes. Is the re-offending rate amongst pedophiles any higher or lower than people who are released from other crimes? Well, there's lots of debate around this. The media will tell you that paedophile recidivism rates or repeat offence rates are high. Um, The criminological literature actually says that that's not the case, but within certain categories, it is higher. So, for example, some sex offenders, those who offend outside of the family, particularly strangers, and that meet certain clinical criteria for things like paedophilia, so the attraction to prepubescent children, do offend with a higher frequency over longer periods of time. Could we put Michael Guider into that category? He seems to fit the bill. We could. Um, He offended against a significant number of children between 1980 and 1996. There were 77 offences for which he was found guilty in that group. There were 13 child victims. So I would consider him within that category, yes. So this five-year supervision order that he's been placed under, how is that any different from parole? Well, parole literally allows a prisoner to serve part of their sentence of imprisonment in the community. So they're not free, as it were. A supervision order is where a court can place a serious sex or violent offender under specific conditions to restrict their movement if they're considered at risk of reoffending. So when a supervision order is made, the court sets these rules that the offender has to follow so that they aren't sent back to prison to finish their sentence in custody. So things like where they can live, who they can have contact with, who, what kind of activities they can participate in. And the purpose is to reduce the risk of reoffending and also consider the concerns of the community and the victims um, of the result of the crimes committed. So this would be where we hear things like they can't live within a certain vicinity of a school, for example. Exactly. They can't speak to certain people. They can't be around children, for example, without adults. And they may be electronically monitored. Okay. Now, the federal government is currently considering a bill for tougher penalties against sex offenders, especially those who do target children. Would this bill, if it had been introduced beforehand, have had an impact on Guida's release? I think it probably would. Guida was sentenced to 17 years in 2002 for killing Samantha Knight, but he was already serving 16 years for 77 sexual offences against 13 children over a protracted period of time. So when we see this new crimes legislation amendment bill entered for discussion in Parliament next week, there are certain things that would have affected his case, I believe, for example, mandatory sentencing for serious sex offences and for recidivist offenders. So yes, I think he probably would have served longer and suffered tougher penalties had this bill been in place when he was actually sentenced. So would that have meant, because I know this bill includes also cumulative sentences that so he would have served that 16 years plus the 17 years rather than doing it at the same time would that have been a thing exactly right yes exactly and so I think there's going to be a presumption in favor of that because obviously there's a community expectation that if you commit additional crimes that you have to serve an additional sentence rather than serving them concurrently which is the current practice so what happens now well People then be told under this supervision order that he's been released on, will they be told if he moves into their neighbourhood? No, people won't actually be informed, but it's going to be very difficult for him because obviously he's extremely high profile, his image is out there, you know, people are going to recognise him. So they won't be informed that he's there, but he will be heavily monitored. So the community can feel safe in the sense that community corrections are, you know, 
taking great lengths to make sure that he's not going to commit any more crimes, but it doesn't mean that they will necessarily be told of his presence. Is there also a concern then for vigilante justice? We've seen this happen to other pedophiles in the past where they've been forced to move and move and move because they can't settle because of the attention they get from the people when they find out they are in a neighbourhood. Is vigilante justice a concern here? It certainly is. I mean, he's very well recognised. Everyone knows the crimes that he's committed, the longevity of the crimes, the seriousness of the crimes. So yes, certainly vigilantism is a concern in this case. And that's obviously something that the community corrections has to guard against because he has been released. We have to protect his safety as well as the community safety because actually we want to know where he is and that he has settled so that he can be monitored effectively. With this man now back out in the community, his victims are terrified he'll find them. There are parents worried that he'll end up living near their children and a mother whose daughter's body has never been found who is re-traumatised with the fact that her daughter's killer gets to go back to his life while she still doesn't know where Samantha is. While Sonia Ryan was able to lay her daughter to rest, there is still a pedophile in jail, the man who killed her daughter, who will also one day see the end of his sentence. And she knows exactly how Tess Ryan, Samantha's mum, would be feeling right now. Terrified. It's absolutely horrifying to think that a person that is capable of taking the life of an innocent, beautiful child so brutally could walk free within our society. Not only is it terrifying for herself, uh, the suffering that we have both endured and the suffering is something that you cannot begin to imagine. That is the reality of what us as victims of crime have to deal with. That's all for The Quickie today. For more episodes, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash The Quickie. And if there's a new story you'd like us to investigate, shoot us an email, thequickie at mamamia.com.au.